Before you say you're not qualified, you should know that Noah got drunk, Abraham was too old, Isaac was a daydreamer, Jacob lied, Leah was ugly, <laughs> Joseph was abused, Moses was a murderer, and he didn't want to speak in front of people. Gideon was afraid, and he hid. Samson had long hair, and he was afraid too. <laughs> Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David was a murderer and an adulterer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. I'm never going to do that, by the way. <laughs> Hallelujah. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Ooh, I've done that before. Martha worried about everything. Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed. The Samaritan woman was divorced a few times. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was a murderer. Timothy had an ulcer. And Lazarus was dead. So maybe God can use all of us too. Amen. Amen. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to be together, to be together once again. Yeah, thank you for this opportunity to be together. And Father, we just open up our hearts to you, God. I ask for your anointing that breaks the yoke of bondage to just be all over this word today. That you would just come powerfully, Father God, through this word. And we just open up our hearts to receive from you. God, we just pray that every perceived weight or boundary that's been keeping us from all that you have for us is getting broken off today. In Jesus' name, that you're removing the lie of limitation. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So I want to start in John 1.17. It says, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I love the book of John, John 1.1. 1, 1. Actually, I have a chronological Bible, and John 1.1 1, 1 is the very first verse in the chronological Bible. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But I love John. It just lays it out for us, and it says in John 1.17, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. How many know that the Bible is one story from beginning to end? And when people don't see this, you can get into all kinds of confusion and weird doctrine. But the Bible is one story from beginning to end. The Bible is the story of God reconciling his creation back to himself, and he does it through his son, Jesus Christ. It's a love story. It's a love story of God bringing his people back to himself, and he does it through his son, Jesus Christ. And the Bible says Jesus was crucified before the foundation of the world. God had this in mind. So the Bible is a story of God redeeming his creation back to himself. It's a redemption story. 
It's a redemption story. This is, this, this is the story from the very beginning, beginning in Genesis. It's God has this perfect relationship with his creation, this perfect connection, this communication one-on-one where he walks with them. And then, of course, we know that man chose sin and that through the sin of Adam, we, we all inherited that sin. But then God redeems it all back through his son, Jesus Christ. So when you're reading the Bible, that's a great thing to keep in mind. This is, this is the story that God is telling. And all these stories in the Bible actually tell this story of God redeeming his creation back to himself. Amen. So the stories in the Old Testament often point to this, and it gives us types and shadows of law and grace. You see this all throughout the Old Testament. Let me just give you a few quickly. Cain and Abel. How many ever found it weird that it said that the Lord had regard for Abel's sacrifice, but he had no regard for Cain's sacrifice? Why, why is that? Well, Cain's sacrifice actually was something that came from the work of his own hands. It came from, a, he gave a, a portion of the produce that he grew from his own blood, sweat, and tears. And Abel's sacrifice was a lamb. It was lamb sacrifice. Who does that sound like? Jesus. Cain's sacrifice was from works, if you will, from his own works. And God said, I have no regard for that sacrifice. But for Abel's sacrifice, I have regard. This is way before Jesus comes to earth. It's a picture of law and grace. He says, I have no regard for, and and the, the law is perfect, we know that. So it's not that the Lord doesn't have regard for the law, but God, how many know God never intended to relate to us through law and rules and regulations? He intended to relate through us through relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. So this is right there in the story of Cain and Abel. How about Ishmael and Isaac? God says, Abraham, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you. I'm going to give you a son. And he's like, that's impossible. My wife's way past childbearing years. And he says, yeah, I'm going to give you a son. And through him, the whole world is going to be blessed. And we know that the seed of Abraham was actually Jesus Christ. And so they try, they actually get a little impatient, and then they try to produce something in their flesh, and out comes Ishmael. And by the way, what came first, Cain or Abel? Who, Who was born first? Cain, then Abel. The law first came, then Jesus Christ. Who came first, Ishmael or Isaac? Ishmael. Something they were trying to do in their own strength, in their own flesh, Ishmael. And then you have the promised son, Isaac. Who's the promised son? Jesus. He was promised to us, the Savior of the world. You see it in the story of Jacob and Esau. Who was born first? Esau. Yeah. <laughs> I said it backwards just to throw you off. I actually wrote in my notes, Esau and Jacob, and I was like, no, nobody says that. You always say Jacob and Esau. But Esau was the firstborn. But it was prophesied that the, the younger, that the older would actually serve the younger. 
Because how many know that Jesus didn't come to serve the law, but the law actually serves Jesus? Amen? But you, there's this bizarre story with them where Esau comes out and Jacob comes out holding on to his foot, coming out right afterwards. So Esau was the firstborn, and Jacob came out holding the foot of his brother Esau. By the way, we're going to read a similar story to that in, in a moment, so hold on to that. Jacob steals the blessing from his brother because the blessing could not come through the first law. It had to come through the second grace. These types of things are all throughout the Old Testament. If you start looking for them, you'll see them everywhere. When I first started to understand grace, the grace of God, the Bible changed to me. <laughs> I mean, the Bible didn't change, but my perception of it changed. And I started to see this like, wow, this is all through the Bible in God's redemption story. I'll give you one more. And this one I just saw recently. Leah and Rachel, Jacob's two wives. Which one did he love? Rachel. The pretty one. <laughs> Actually says in the Bible she had a good figure. That's, that's, that's just the Bible. It says it. Which one did he, was he forced to marry first? Leah. Leah came first. He was forced to marry her. He, and the Bible says it's a sad story, but he says he never loved her. He never loved her. He loved Rachel. He never wanted her. What is this? It's another picture of law and grace. God didn't want to relate through us through the law. We actually asked for the law. Man actually asked for the law and said, God said, I want everybody to come up to me on the, on the mountain with Moses, and I'm going to have this one-on-one -on -one relationship with everybody like I do with Moses. And they all said, no, God, you're too scary. Give us the rules, and we'll follow them. He says, okay, if you want to relate to me through the rules, here's the standard. And we know we can never measure up to the standard. That's why Jesus came, not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, because he is the only one that could. We, could, we were incapable of fulfilling the law. So I'm setting up a story that I want to talk to you about today. It's found in Genesis 38. And this is one of the most bizarre stories, I think, in the whole Bible. And I'm going to be reading, if you're in a digital version, I'm going to be reading uh, in the NIV. Genesis 38. Yeah, this is a wild story. This is a story I think pastors avoid because you don't want to talk about this stuff in church. You're going to see why in a minute. So this story, it's right smack dab in the middle of the Joseph story, which is, it's there for a reason. It's on purpose, right in the middle of the Joseph story. Thank you so much. Just take a lap break. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> so if you know the Joseph story... That's Genesis 37 is where it begins. The story of Joseph is he's actually the favorite son of Jacob. Why was he the favorite son? Well, one of the reasons was that was the son. We just talked about Rachel. That was Rachel's son. So this is the son from the woman that he truly loved and wanted. He only wanted Rachel and he was tricked into marrying Leah. 
But this is Rachel's son. It was his favorite son. And we know he gave him this special coat, and that made his brothers hate him, that they knew he was favored more than them. To make matters worse, Joseph has these dreams that all his brothers are bowing down to him, and he tells them, he's like, hey, I'm having these dreams, these crazy dreams where all of you guys are bowing down to me. So now they hate him even worse. And we know the story that they all plot against him, and they premeditated, for this would be first-degree murder. Let's kill him. And this is significant. Judah, Judah's the one that speaks up and says, hey, let's not kill him. We don't get any money if we do that. <laughs> let's sell him, and then we'll at least profit off of it. This is Judah that says this. And by the way, all of Genesis 38 is about Judah. Judah's actually the main person we're going to talk about today. And Judas, Judah's the one that says, hey, let's, instead of killing him, why don't we sell him? Now, in a bizarre way, I don't think this was his intention. He actually saved his life. I don't think that was his intention, but that actually is the truth. He saved his life. So another important thing that happens in Genesis 37 is they take his special coat, they rip it up, they pour goat's blood on it. And they take it to Jacob. And certainly Judah would have been there when they present this coat to Jacob. And what is said, remember this, because it's going to come back in Genesis 38. What is said is to the father is, can you identify whose coat this is when they give it to him? So we know Jacob goes into a deep mourning we talked about mourning a couple weeks ago, and it's, it's healthy to mourn. But Jacob, he says, I'm going to mourn for the rest of my life. And he says, don't even try to comfort me. I refuse to be comforted. And so now, probably starting to set in with his brothers what they've done. They're like, oh, now we don't have just the problem of Jacob. We have a whole other problem. Our father is devastated. He's absolutely devastated. Okay. So we're setting up Genesis 38. We're going to start in verse 1. All right. Verse 1. At that time, this is a time marker. At that time, Judah left his brothers and went down to stay with a man of Adullam named Hira. So when you see a time marker in the Bible, pay attention because it's always significant. So what time is this? This is right after what happened in Genesis 37, ending with them presenting the coat. The father, Jacob, is devastated. He says, I'll never be comforted. Well, I'm going to mourn until I die. And at that time, Judah left his brothers and went down to stay with a man of Adullam named Hira. Now, Adullam is a Canaanite city, and Hira is Judah's pagan buddy. So he went, the, the implication here is that everything in the story that we're about to read indicates that Judah is running. He's running away from his beliefs, he's running away from his family, and he's probably running from the guilt and shame of what he did to his brother Joseph. He leaves 
his hometown. He leaves his family. He goes to a Canaanite city to live. With, and he's, he has this friend who's a pagan friend in, in the, uh, the city of Adullam. So this is the timing indicates that he probably felt terrible about what he did, and he was like rejecting everything that he grew up with and just like, I'm going to try something different. Verse 2, there Judah met the daughter of a Canaanite woman named Shua. He married her and made love to her. Oh, I bet you didn't think we we're going to talk about that in church today. When you're on your way, you're probably like, we're probably not going to talk about that today. <laughs> Just wait. <laughs> this story gets a lot more wild. So there was one thing that was told to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not marry a Canaanite woman. Whatever you do, don't marry a Canaanite woman. And this didn't have to do with race. This had to do with they were pagans. They're like, we don't want to, to intermix with that culture. Do not marry a Canaanite woman. What does Judah do? He goes and marries a Canaanite woman. So Judah met the daughter, verse 2, of a Canaanite woman named Shua. He married her and made love to her. Verse 3, she became pregnant and gave birth to a son whose name was Ur, E-R, so if any, any women are pregnant here and you're looking for a good baby name, that's available. Er. It's just very simple. It's just two letters. So verse 4, she conceived again, and she gave birth to a son named Onan, also available if you want it. So now Judah has two sons. He's got Er and Onan. And then verse 5, she gave birth to still another son and named him Shelah. It was at Kezib that she gave birth to him. So now Judah has three sons with his Canaanite wife. Verse 6, Judah got a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and named her Tamar. Oh, I'm sorry, and her name was Tamar. So now this shows a passing of time. This is probably 20 years. So again, this is not... This wasn't just a stop off for Judah where he's like, I'm just going to kind of live wild for, you know, for a few years. This is like he's embraced the Canaanite lifestyle. He's left his old lifestyle. He, now, at this point, he's been there at least 20 years because he's married off or he's marrying off his, his firstborn. So I don't know. Maybe they got married young then. Maybe this is 15 years. But the point remains, he has fully embraced this Canaanite lifestyle. And he's about to marry his son off to a Canaanite, and he does in that scripture. Okay, what, what, what verse were we at? Verse 6. Yeah, Judah got a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. Verse 7. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death. Now, I don't know what he did, but it must have been bad. <laughs> That's all we know, is that the Lord put him to death. Verse 8, then Judah said to Onan, sleep with your brother's wife. I told you it gets more interesting. Sleep with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty to her as, as a brother-in-law to raise up offspring for your brother. So this was actually the custom in the day that the firstborn was always the most honored. And if the firstborn son married and he died, the second son in line was supposed to give children to his wife but they would forever be considered the firstborn's children. So they'd never be considered the secondborn, even though he was doing the, doing the deed, right? Never going to be his son on paper. It's, it's going to be 
the firstborn son. And so that was the custom of the day. And so it said to Judah, verse 8, sleep with your brother's wife, fulfill your duty as her brother-in-law to raise up offspring for your brother. Verse 9, Onan knew that the child would not be his, so whenever he slept with his brother's wife, he spilled his seed on the ground to keep from providing offspring for her brother. So there's speculation of why this happened, but some people think he didn't like his brother. Some people think he didn't want to divide his own estate because that's literally what would happen. By giving uh, offspring to your, your older brother, you're actually dividing your estate smaller. And he could have just been like, you know, I don't want to marry her. I don't want to do this. But what happens is he actually takes her and he uses her sexually, but he doesn't want to actually do what was asked of him, which was to give her children. So that leads us to verse 10. What, what he did was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death also. You're fired, yeah. <laughs> so now we got two sons of Judah dead. Now Catholics actually use this story, and I'm not, saying, I'm not trying to be down on Catholics, but it's just, the, it's just facts. They use this story as to support their beliefs that you shouldn't use any type of birth control. But how many know the point of that story is not... What he did wrong was not that he used a form of birth control. What he did wrong was he didn't fulfill the duty he was supposed to fulfill to give her children. So Onan's sin was that he wanted to take advantage of the situation, so to speak, but he refused to actually give her children. So now Judah is down to just one son. Verse 11, Judah then said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, Live as a widow in your father's household until my son Shelah grows up. For he thought he may die too, just like his brothers. So Tamar went to live in her father's household. So go back to that line. It says, for he thought he may die too, just like his brothers. So he actually is not meaning what he says to Tamar. He's actually just trying to get her out of the house. He's like, hey, go to your father's house. And when my son Shelah grows up, I'll bring you back and you can marry him. But he actually doesn't mean it. He doesn't want any part of her at this point. He's probably starting to think, this is a black widow. This is like, she killed my first son. She killed my second son. I am not giving her a third chance at this. But to get rid of her kind of like, you know, in a deceptive way, he's like, just, just go to your father's house. And when Shelah is old enough, I will call you back. By the way, it is, the pronunciation is Shelah. And no man wants to be called Sheila, even though it looks like Sheila. It's Sheila. So he sends her away. But Judah had no intention of giving Sheila to Tamar. So verse 12, after a long time, another time marker, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. When Judah had recovered from his grief... He went up to Timnah to the men who were shearing his sheep, and his friend Hira, the Adulamite, went with him. Okay, here's where the story gets really interesting. Buckle up. <laughs> when Tamar was told, 
Your father-in-law is on his way to Timnah to shear sheep. She took off her widow's clothes. That was the custom of the day. If you're a widow, you had to wear widow's clothes, which means you could never marry again, basically, because you were like marked. So she's not married. She's a widow. She has no kids. That was a really bad spot for women to be in this day. So she took off her widow's clothes, covered herself with a veil to disguise herself, and then sat down at the entrance to Enaim, which is on the road to Timnah, for she, uh, for she saw that though Shelah had now grown up, she had not been given to him as a wife. So Tamar realizes the situation she's in. She's like, I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to have kids. And she jumps in and takes action here. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. Now think about this. We're going to talk more about this in a second. But in this culture, in the Canaanite culture, they actually had what's called shrine prostitutes or temple prostitutes. And they thought in this culture, how many know if you're worshiping God's little g, you're actually worshiping demons? And so they, they were literally worshiping demons. And in this culture, they believed it was actually a good thing to sleep with a shrine prostitute, that it would bring you fortune. And this shows us just how far Judah's gone into this culture that he's actually embracing this tradition. And think about this. The shrine prostitutes were to wear a veil. What does that make you think of? It's like disconnecting this sexual act with an actual person. Verse 15, when Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute for she covered her face. Not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law, he went over to her by the roadside and said, come now, let me sleep with you. Again, if you're worshiping demons, you're going to get a lot of bad info. And she says, what will you give me to sleep with you? He says, I'll send you a young goat from my flock. Very romantic. <laughs> give you a goat. She says, will you give me something as a pledge until I send it? Otherwise, he says, I, I, I want to sleep with you, but I don't have anything on me. I can give you a goat tomorrow. And she's like, well, can you give me some collateral? How do I know you're going to come through? Give me some collateral. Let's see, what verse were we at? 18. He said, what pledge should I give, give you? She said, your seal and its cord and the staff in your hand. So your seal is like, it's the, it would be the signet ring, the seal. This is like your driver's license and your credit card in one. So this is what he gives to her. Plus his staff, which would have been unique to him. Everybody would have had a, a staff that you'd look at that staff and you'd be like, oh yeah, that's so-and-so staff. So he, he gives her his identification, his right to buy, and he gives her the staff and a cord. What verse do we in? <laughs> I keep losing my place. That's why I need paper. What was it? We're still 18. 18, thank you. He said, what pledge should I give to you? She says, your seal, cord, and staff in hand. And she answered, so he gave them to her and slept with her, and she became pregnant by him. This is some Jerry Springer stuff. <laughs> and she left. She took off her veil, and she put on her widow's clothes again. 
So meanwhile, so the next day, Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adulamite, in order to get his pledge back from the woman. But his friend did not find her. He asked the men who lived there, where is the shrine prostitute who's beside the road at Anaim? There hasn't been any shrine prostitute here, they said. So he went back to Judah and said, I didn't find her. Beside the men who lived here said, there hasn't been any shrine prostitute here. Then Judah says, let her keep what she has or we will become a laughingstock. After all, I did send her a young goat, but you couldn't find her. He's like, I did my part. I sent, I sent the goat and she wasn't there. So what, what can I do? And he says, let's not investigate into this any further because they're going to laugh at us. They're going to make fun of us. Again, this shows you just how far Judah, how far gone he was and that he really had fully adopted the life, religion, and the customs of the pagan Canaanites. He's like fully immersed into this life and fully departed and divorced from the life that he knew and that he grew up in and the God that he knew growing up. Verse 24, after three months, I'm sorry, about three months later, Judah was told, so again, this is another time marker, three months go by, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law Tamar is guilty of prostitution, and as a result, she is now pregnant. Judah says, bring her out and have her burned to death. Can you think of a worse way to die? This shows you the disdain he had for this woman. He's like, that. oh my God, this black widow, she killed two of my sons, wanted to kill the third one. I, thank goodness I didn't let her. And now she's just prostituting herself. Let's burn her. Let's burn this black widow. Let's have her burned to death. Verse 25. You get to see Tamar's. This was not a, this was not a dumb woman. This was a very smart woman. You get to see her shrewdness in this next verse. As she was brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law. I am pregnant by the man who owns these. And she added, see if you recognize whose seal and whose cord and whose staff these are. Just a thought. Some translations say, can you identify whose stuff this is. Remember back when they took the coat to Jacob, they're like, can you identify whose coat this was? Do you think that he remembered that moment? Brought him back to what he had been running from. Verse 26, Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I. This is as to say, I am worse than a prostitute. She is more righteous than me. And the Bible says he would not sleep with her again. So it says she is more righteous than I, which is to say I'm, a pro I'm worse than a prostitute. And it says he did not sleep with her again. So it didn't say that he could not. He probably could have taken, taken her as a wife, but it said he would not. He would not sleep with her. You know what all of this looks like? This looks like a turning point in Judah's life. 
This, this looks like repentance, where he realizes not just what he'd done, but what he had done in his past, and he's coming to this breaking point where he's finally having repentance. He's like, I am worse than a prostitute. And he refused to sleep with her. He refused to continue to take advantage of the situation. Verse 27. When the time came for her to give birth, and now more times passed, six months after this confrontation, there were twin boys in her womb. As she was giving birth, this is so interesting to me. As she was giving birth, one of the babies put out his hand, so the midwife took a scarlet thread and tied it on his wrist and said, this one came out first. Birth order was so important that they didn't want to get it wrong with twins. They're like, we got to figure, we got to know for sure which one comes out first that's technically born first. So this little baby puts his hand out and she ties a red scarlet cord around his wrist so she knows this one was born first. But when he drew his, he drew his hand back, then his brother came out and she said, so this is how you have broken out. And he was named Perez. Then his brother, who had the scarlet thread in his wrist, came out, and his name was Zerah. What do you think the scarlet thread would represent? Scarlet's all, always associated in the Bible. You're usually with blood. What do, what do you think this would represent? Jesus. Pokes his hand out, gets the thread, pulls it back in. Other baby comes out, then he comes out. Interesting story. Reminds me of the Jacob and Esau story. What if I told you that these two babies are another picture of law and grace in the Old Testament? <laughs> Let me ask you a question. In the Bible, did Jesus come before the law or after the law? Go ahead, shout it out. If you said before, you're correct. If you said after, you were also correct. And I don't know if I heard anybody say both. But if you said both, that's the most correct. <laughs> In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The little baby pokes his hand out, but he doesn't come fully out in the flesh. First came Perez, the firstborn. Law comes first. Then Jesus comes fully later in the flesh. That's just cool to me. I don't know about anybody else. But. <laughs> what does this crazy story mean to us? If you look at the genealogy of Jesus Christ in the book of Matthew, you see this. Abraham begat Isaac. Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob begat Judah. And Judah begat Perez through Tamar. Judah and Tamar. Tamar is one of only three women mentioned in the line of Christ. What does this all mean to us? 
what is this qualifying you from being used by God? How many know it's all by his grace? If you've messed up, great. You qualify as a vessel that he can work through like Judah and Tamar. If you've ran away from God at various times in your life, just like he used Judah, he can use you. If your life looks messed up, great. You qualify for God to work through you and to show off his grace and his redemption, just like he did with Judah and Tamar. Jesus is called, one of the things that he'll forever be called is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Judah's name is where we actually get the word Jew from. And Tamar, this Canaanite pagan woman who took things into her own hand, She's in the line of Christ. She's mentioned as one of the few women mentioned in the line of Christ. What have you done that disqualifies you from being used by God? Lastly, In Genesis 44, this is toward the end of the, of the Joseph story. We know Joseph goes, gets sold into slavery, and he ends up, through crazy circumstances, he ends up in the palace as second in command of Egypt because God's favor was on him. And one day his brothers show up, the same brothers that sold him into slavery. And this would be... The Bible says about 20 years. So which is interesting to me because this would put chronologically that happened like right after the story we just talked about where Judah realizes that he's got his daughter-in-law pregnant. She has babies. Probably right after that, this story happens, which indicates Judah went back home because he's with his brothers when they show up in Egypt. So that's another thing to support that Judah had just had a major repentance. He's like... I see what I've done. I'm going back home. So in this story, Joseph sees his brothers, and he wants to know, are these the same brothers that threw me in that pit? Are these the same brothers that sold me? Or have they changed? That's the whole point of why he put them through what he put them through. He wanted to see, are they the same men? Or has something happened in their heart? Are they different? So we know Judah, or I'm sorry, Joseph frames them. And particularly, see, Rachel had two sons. It was Joseph and Benjamin. Again, Rachel is the wife that Jacob loved. So his two favorite sons were Joseph and Benjamin. And Joseph knew this. So he says, where's Benjamin? Bring him back. Because he's really going put to te- put them to the test. Are you going to throw Benjamin under the bus like you did me? So they bring Benjamin back. And we know the story. He frames Benjamin. And Joseph said, that's it. He's staying with me forever. He's now my slave. You guys can go. See how he's setting them up. He's testing them. He's my slave. I'm keeping him. 
you guys can go. He's, he's sinned against me. He's taken from me. I have a right to keep him as my slave. Here's what's crazy. Who ends up being the hero in this story? Judah. Judah. He steps forth, says, please do not take my brother. Let me be put in his place. I'll take his place. What does that sound like? Jesus. Out of all the brothers Judah probably had, he probably went the farthest astray. Like, we have that story showing that he went way astray. And of all the brothers, he's the one to step up and say, let me take his place. He's the hero of that story. He offers his life in exchange for Benjamin's life. What happened to that group of brothers who sold their brother into slavery? Now we have a group of guys later in life. They probably made a lot of mistakes. But the one who made the most mistakes is probably Judah. And he's the one who's willing to give his life in exchange for his brother's life. I want to tell you this morning that God wants to take all your brokenness and make you the hero of a great story. He took all that junk, all that stuff, all that dysfunction, all the years away from God, all the things that he did, and he ran from God, ignored God, embraced other gods, and he took all that dysfunction, and he makes Judah the hero of another story, of his own story. God wants to make you the hero of a story in your life. You know, God is so much better than we believe. <laughs> no one is going to get to heaven and go, yeah, that's about what I expected. <laughs> every, every single one of us is going to say, wow, we didn't know. We didn't know how good he was. We didn't know how deep his love was. We didn't know how big his grace was. We just didn't know. We didn't know. What's disqualifying you from being used by God? It's all by his grace. And God wants to use you in a mighty way this year. I believe that. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent your son, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that you willingly stepped in our place and said, let me take it. Let me take the sin. Let me take the shame. Let me take the punishment. Let me take it all. Let me take the lost years. I'll take it all. We thank you, Jesus, for stepping into our place. And I believe this morning, I felt like the Lord just spoke to me this morning, and he's breaking off disqualification today. He's breaking off every lie of the enemy that says, you aren't worthy to be blessed. You aren't worthy to do something for God. You aren't worthy to step into all that he has for you. You aren't worthy of your calling. You aren't worthy to have a great marriage. You aren't worthy to have a good spouse. You aren't worthy to meet somebody that's going to be a great spouse to you. He's breaking off every lie of disqualification. What have you done 
that's too big for God's grace. What have you done that Jesus didn't take on the cross? And so with heads bowed, I just want you to just be real with me this morning. If you felt disqualified, just raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you right where you're at. Thank you, Jesus. If you've just felt disqualified in your life from blessing, just raise your hand. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. You know what? Just, just go ahead and stand. Just be bold. Right now, we break off every lie of disqualification in Jesus' name. Every assignment that's been sent against you to convince you that you're not worthy of God's blessing, we break it in the mighty name of Jesus. And right now, I just release over you blessing and favor and that you'd experience the goodness of God. That you would experience the depth of his love and his grace. I just declare encounters over these people. Encounters with whatever they need specifically. Amen. You can be seated. Amen. You want to come on up? That story has been so on my heart. And I'm like, why is this? I've, I've probably read that story a dozen times in the last two weeks, and I've listened to commentary on it. And I'm like, why am I so drawn to this story? And this week, the Lord just connected it for me. He's like, people feel disqualified. And there's no one who's, who's disqualified. You can't be too far gone. You can't do something that's bigger than God's grace. You can't run far enough away from it. You can try like Judah did. Many years away from his homeland, away from what he believed, but he could not run God's goodness and his grace. Amen.